The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital Industries Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's digital strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, I'm going to quote the author, Evan Angler, author of the Swipe series, which turns out to be apocalyptic dystopian fiction at its best, they tell me. Here's the quote. In an age of infinite digital documentation, paper was the last safe place for secrets. And the key word in my buzz statement today is paper. So just keep that in mind. Now let me tell you what this is all about. The paper making industry officially dates back, according to my research, to 105-105 A.D. in China, although earlier writing material was found in ancient Egypt. Today, we don't think twice about paper. We're supposed to be a paperless society. Poof, we're still using it. We don't really even care how it's produced. But the very survival of the global paper and packaging industry is being challenged by, oh, you know what I'm going to say next, digital media and paperless technology. Help! That's what the industry is saying. Help! What can we do? Where can we go? Well, we're going to talk today about innovative business models and redesigning business processes. Bottom line, for those of you in the paper business, this isn't your father's paper industry anymore. The experts speak, and I have a panel of true experts from around the world helping us out today. Let me just tell you their names and companies, and then we'll get started. We're welcoming Peter Reynolds, Industry Analyst at ARC Advisory Group. We're welcoming Didier Magnan, and I'll spell his last name, M-A-G-N-I-E-N. He's an IT director at SAPI, S-A-P-P-I, and chairman of the SAP Forest Products Advisory Council. And rounding out our panel today is Alfred Becker, product manager of Mill Products Industry at SAP. So let me get started. Peter Reynolds has sent me the following quote from... One of our most frequently quoted sources, Albert Einstein. You all know the German-born theoretical physicist who developed the general theory of relativity, one of two pillars of modern physics. Here's the quote. The world as we have created it is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. Peter Reynolds, welcome to Game Changers. How are you, Peter? Bonnie, I'm just doing marvelous. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, we are delighted. We have to do a shout-out to Jennifer Scholes at SAP who put together this wonderful panel. So uh, we'll say, uh, Jennifer, who is, is listening on another line, thank you to Jennifer. Peter, love the quote from Einstein. It seems to be a pillar of our whole world today, not just of uh, one of his pillars of modern physics. Tell me how this applies to our topic. We're talking about an endangered species, the paper industry. Talk to me, Peter. 
Well, that's, uh, that's really interesting that you might say that, Bonnie. It, uh, in, is it a, uh, the paper industry an endangered species, or is it a changing species? Ah. And, about this uh, this panel discussion and where we might go with it. And I think about change, and there does seem to be a lot going on right now. You know, we create change, and then we move on. We think about what's going to happen in the future, in the future and we make decisions about um, our lives, and we make decisions in our, our work with the best available in- info. And I look at things, and I see, well, what do we do when something significant happens in our personal lives or in our in our work? What happens when a new... A new uh, um, competitor comes to our market or a new technology, and we become obsolete. So there are some really interesting things that are happening right now. And I look at, um, you know, I used to really like to take taxis, and I, I enjoyed getting into a taxi, and uh, it was reliable, and I, could, I, could, I knew what my expectations were. And then all of a sudden I think about this other big change, this company called Uber. And, and Uber is, a, is a, a big change, of course, and, and many people quote what's happening uh, with Uber. And there's, there's a, there's, sometimes there's a, a reluctance to think about, you know, a new way of doing things. So I look at, I look at big changes that, that, that impact the world today. And we've got we've got not just Uber, and of course, if, if you don't know Uber, Uber doesn't own any taxis, and this is a technology-driven mm-hmm. service that uses geolocation uh, services to connect a person with a need to move and somebody with the ability to move via uh, a vehicle. So we've got all these big things that are that are taking place uh, today. We've got Tesla, you know, you know, a manufacturer of uh, automobiles and uh, and uh, energy storage, you know, unprecedented in this day and age. We've got 400,000 people have made an investment in electric vehicles. So there's, it seems to be in this decade, we've got tremendous change. So I look at it and I think, well, going forward, and this is why the quote from Albert Einstein I thought was so interesting is, is how do we, how do we look at our our industries and our jobs and our careers, and we think about disruptive changes, things like Uber and like Tesla, and how do we undo the things that we use to create things in our life or things in our employment and really create some real change? Because it seems like competition is very, very intense. So I think change is going to come swifter and faster as we move forward. Thank you, Peter. Very enlightening. And, and thank you for uh, in, entertaining my question, endangered versus changing. I love that. And I've made notes to put that on Twitter. My, my question for you before we move on to our next panelist is, is the paper industry aware? Is there anybody who's hiding behind a big paper rock or a cardboard rock saying, nah, we're fine. It'll come full cycle. Everything will be all right. We're still writing paper checks. We're still printing paper books with the on-demand printing industry. People still love to hold a book or a magazine in their hands. Do you think there's some, some people in the industry who think it's going to turn out okay even if they don't change, Peter? I, I think there are, there are some folks that are still still holding out, and, and obviously we we do create uh, less uh, less printing, and certainly with the age of computers and digital storage, I, you know, I think it certainly changed, um, you know, how we interact with each other, and even now with uh, voice recognition software, I can, you know, I'm almost to the point where I can dictate my notes, and this can be used in the enterprise. But I think a lot of companies, and DJ will will have, certainly have a much uh, uh, more important perspective. I, I think that the world is changing. We've got 3D printing. We've got a need for more specialty project products. We, uh, 
even on the supply chain side, you know, who would have thought that Amazon would have had a tremendous uh, uh, business to change uh, retail? So we don't, um, going forward, perhaps we don't uh, go to the store to pick up our device. It actually shows up in a, in a box, which, or it shows up via a drone. So now mm-hmm. we've, we've introduced a new need for new forms of packaging, and these things are all derived from, from paper. So I think on the specialty markets and the niche markets, that's where I really see, I really see things going. So it's not just about newsprint. Um, of course, because mm-hmm. digital can replace that in, in normal in, in normal uh, print media. I think that the the market has just changed, and I think that uh, open paper companies and um, some of the manufacturers. I think there, there are some out there that are certainly adapting to this change. Thank you, Peter. I, I just heard from an innovation ideation uh, specialist, uh, Brian Matamore, who's going to be on one of our Game Changer shows in a couple weeks. He was telling me the other day that there's a company that is making cardboard bicycles that really work and that can withhold up to 400 pounds of weight. I'm just going to leave that. So you're absolutely right. I was thinking with my my narrow blind, my, my paper blinders on just about printing paper, but you're right. Paper has so many other uses. Thank you, Peter. Pleasure to meet you. And you have invoked the name of our second panelist. It's Didier Magnat, who is IT Director at SAPI, S-A-P-P-I, and Chairman of SAP Forest Products Advisory Council. Didier has sent me a wonderful quote, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight little words from Steve Jobs. The less he said, my goodness, he just makes a wallet packed a, a packed a punch with what everything he said. And here's the quote, innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower. And by the way, uh, this is included in a book called The Innovation Secrets of Steve Jobs, published in 2001, and I believe it's also part of a bestseller called The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs, compiled and written by author Carmine Gallo. So, Didier Magnon, welcome to the show. Nice to meet you. And innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower. Talk to me and tell me how this relates to our topic today of the paper industry. Didier? Hi, uh, Bonnie. So nice to be Hi. with you. Thank you. Uh, <coughs> Yeah, uh, innovation, when we talk about innovation, innovation is about change. And I think it's very much linked to what Peter said before, yeah. And when you talk about change, it's where the, the leadership is a very important thing. Yeah? Because you can only achieve change with a very strong leadership. And I think uh, Steve Jobs was a really, very big leader. He was a very big leader. And, and you have to be a leader on two sides. If you look on our industry, yeah, you have to be a leader on the market, yeah, and and you have also to be leader internally for all the change management because many things are, are changing. So if we look uh, outside, like Peter said, uh, uh, the change uh, we are used to change. So I don't think that the world start to change now. The world has always changed. Maybe sometimes the speed uh, uh, is higher than uh, other time. But we have already seen, you know, starting with 2000, there was already a change, a declining on the paper uh, demand, yeah. But the big change come, came really in 2010 uh, with the finance crisis. You say, ah, oh, what does paper to do with finance crisis, yeah. But, uh, you know, where all companies started to look on their marketing um, uh, budget, yeah, on the one piece of the marketing budget is uh, paper, yeah. And this is where we have seen a really big change in our industry uh, uh, in, 2000, in 2010, where really uh, the demand was dropping and the demand continued to drop, especially for graphic paper. Not all kind of paper is declining. You have part of, uh, uh, of a paper business which, are, which is increasing. I think packaging is one, one of it, yeah, but newspapers was the first one to 
meltdown, especially in, in, in the U.S., maybe less in, uh, less in Europe, but the graphic paper is dropped. So we, we see a drop between 2010 and now, something like uh, uh, 30%, and uh, we expect that uh, it will drop down to 50% or something. So it continues to drop. And so what you do on, the, on this kind of – first of all, I, I'm, I would say from – you know, talking to uh, to my peers, on, on, on you know, we we have the opportunity to to meet uh, uh, in this adversary council and so on. We are all facing the same, and I think we are all aware of this change because you, something you you felt directly in your book. So nobody can endure it. Yeah, and uh, but you cannot you you cannot change the change. So this is uh, something. It's an evolution uh, happening. Yeah, and the way now how you manage it. And it's where I, we strongly believe that innovation will help us on digital uh, transformation, which is hurting us from one side, which also help us to, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to go over this period. On, on, uh, and it's really about surviving, yeah? because the demand going down by 50%, not all will survive. Yeah? But you want, if you want to survive, so you have to be innovative, you have to be leader on the market, in, and also uh, in, in your processes. Thank you, Didier. Very interesting insights. It's a pleasure to have you on. And by the way, you're calling in from where today? Tell us. I'm calling from Austria. I am French, but I call from Austria. Well, that's a wonder, wonderful combination, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> bien sûr. Très, très bien. Thank you so much. And now let's round out the panel. I'm going to welcome Alfred Becker, Product Manager of Mill Products Industry for SAP. And Alfred has sent me a quote from a gentleman I was not aware of. I should have been, but I did a little research. It's Mitchell David Kapoor. That's the way he pronounces his name, K-A-P-O-R. He's an entrepreneur best known for promoting the first spreadsheet, VisiCalc. Does anybody remember that? And he later founded... Lotus, where he was instrumental in developing the very well-known Lotus 123 spreadsheet. He's still around. He was born on November 1, 1950. He was a 1971 graduate of Yale University. And all I can tell you is he has been an investor in the personal computing industry and a supporter of social causes like the Hidden Genius Project, the College Brown Brotherhood, and the Advancement Project. Let's just stop there. And here's the wonderful quote Alfred has selected from Mitch Kapoor. Getting information off the Internet is like taking a drink from a fire hydrant. Well, that's certainly a p- couple of picture words in there. Alfred, welcome. How are you today? I'm fine. <laughs> Thank you, and thanks for inviting me to this. <laughs> oh, we're delighted. I love the quote. Are you a big follower of Mitch Caper? I should know who he is. I come back, come from way the, the early days of, well, not the early days, but the 1970s days of all kinds of early computing. And, uh, yeah, so uh, without giving away too much more information, tell me, how did you find this quote? I think it's fabulous. Oh well, I, I have to admit I was looking for uh, for a nice quote, and uh, I this one catched my eye, and I thought, well, it relates uh, quite a lot to what I do, what I think, and uh, this is uh, how I selected it. It's uh, it doesn't relate directly to the paper industry at first glance, uh, but um, you know, when uh, I'd like to refer to something that Didier already said, uh, if a, if a paper company wants to survive. In the future, they have to innovate. 
And now you can innovate in many, many ways. You can have uh, smarter machines or you can have different products. I think in these days people create out of trees and then the fiber, not only paper, but also stuff that you can convert to textile fiber or filters or whatever. But of course, I'm the IT guy. And uh, mm-hmm. so I have that perspective. And uh, one of the main uh, talks in these days uh, when, when, you, when you discuss innovation, that is, you know, the Internet of Things or even the industrial Internet of Things and everyone creates heaps of data. And uh, this is where, where this quote kicks in nicely because there's, there's so much data around. And, uh, but I, I feel it has, it has two extremes. If you, if you query for some information, Either you get nothing because you don't have the wrench to open the hydrant or you get mm-hmm. way too much. You, know, you get so much information that you are lost in a sea of data and so still you have nothing in the end. <laughs> so I see it, uh, this is quite a topic uh, people have to, to work on to get the right value out of all this information. And uh, this is uh, how I see the Internet or all this uh, industrial data that is being created. Very interesting. Alfred, very well put. And yes, uh, taking a drink from a fire hydrant, thinking of information, I wonder how many people who find the information they're looking for on the internet don't end up sending it to their email and printing it out or putting it into a Word document and printing it out. And many people like me are using a uh, an ink as a service. I'll use that term loosely. I'm probably not using it well, where I no longer buy $120 mass cartridges for my printer in my home office, I use a service that knows how much, listen to this, they know how many pages I print on my printer. Talk about big brother, big sister, and mommy and daddy watching you. They know exactly how many pages I print. They know exactly the level of my ink. They send me the ink automatically when it gets low, and they send me a little note you have one page left. We're going to charge your credit card more if you use any more paper in our printer. So it, everything has changed. So, so people who love to print stuff are, uh, are in a different paradigm. Any comments on that, Alfred, before I move back to, to our first speaker, Peter, and ask him what he's drinking today? Yeah. Alfred? I have a comment. Uh, oh, I would I like to yes. continue uh, to print. Continue to print. <laughs> <laughs> That was wonderful. Merci. <laughs> Alfred, did you have a comment? I heard DDA. Yeah, that was Alfred. I would like to quote oh. a mail footer that I have received from a, from a paper company. They said, notice, it's good to print this email. Paper is biodegradable. It's renewable, sustainable product made from trees and plants. Growing and harvesting them provides jobs for millions. And managed forests are good for the environment, providing clean air, clean water, and wildlife habitat. So there is a reason to print. <laughs> wow. Now, now I like that because how many times, come on panel, Peter and Didier and Alfred, how many times do you get emails from people and I get them and you all know where I work. I get them often in the bottom. There's a little note. We are saving trees by not, please do not unnecessarily print this email to save trees. I get it all the time. Do you all get that? A little, uh, like yeah. a disclaimer at the bottom? Yes. Right? So, we need a social campaign, Peter and DDA and Alfred, and I'm, I'm going to bring Jennifer Schultz into this as well because she's listening. We need a social media campaign to start printing again. What do you think, gentlemen? Would that be a good idea to sustain the industry, you think? 
Fantastic idea. Well, at least the, the, the graphical papers. <laughs> the, the, the graphical paper business, they will like it. <laughs> okay, you got it. Somebody send me a little little mantra and I'll tweet it out after we get off the air. No, so my question, Peter Reynolds, I'm going to put you in the hot seat here for a minute. Uh, and thank you all okay. for wonderful quotes and, and a great starting conversation. Peter, I want to know, first of all, where are you calling from today? And second of all, I'm going to get a little personal, but I prepared you for this on our prep call. What are you drinking today? And it's not too personal on all of our shows, which are part of our, our big flagship series, Coffee Break with Game Changers. I always ask my guests to share a little personal information because we want to know what powers you as a thought leader. So tell me where you're calling from, what time of the day it is, and what's in your cup right now or what you're planning to drink later. Peter Reynolds, talk to me. Well, okay. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. So I'm actually calling from my office in New Brunswick, Canada. So mm-hmm. if you don't uh, know Canada, and so it's a very, it's an unknown part of Canada. It's um, characterized as a maritime community, and it's uh, best known for its beaches, its trees. There's a thriving pulp and paper industry in this uh, in this province, uh, largely because of little population and lots of wide open spaces. But it really is a beautiful place to 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 live. Um, nice, uh, nice, gentle winters, and before you got so tired of the winter, it's it's already changing into your in your into spring again. And right now, I am a I'm a big fan of Nespresso, so I'm drinking a cup of Nes- Nespresso coffee. And what I like about Nespresso is the I can order precisely what I want, and I and mm-hmm. I know what I buy because the company has actually done a good job of um, of. Um, Characterizing that for me, so I so I, I I order coffees that I can't even pronounce that are from many different parts uh, parts of the world. So that's a that, that's my current cup and my my future cup. And, and I'm I'm going to say that my my future drink I have to wait to the to the weekend because it does involve alcohol and I and I can't have that interfere with my with my work. But I'm oh, a sailor, mm-hmm. and and, uh, and 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 near me there's a just a lovely river system through the uh, the province of uh, of New Brunswick and one of my favorite drinks that I'll have as I'm sailing on the water is called a dark and stormy and this is a this is a, uh, a, a, a drink that's been trademarked by Gosling's uh, rum company out of Bermuda and it's made with uh, ginger beer and uh, dark rum and a slice of lime so I'll be enjoying that uh, on the weekend and reflecting upon this call thank you Bonnie Oh, very interesting. By the way, I'm an espresso user too, but I'm willing to bet you don't have the red Nespresso machine because my kitchen is all red and I had to get the red one. I bet yours isn't red. Am I right, Peter? Oh, no, it is red, and I have the big no. one, the one that has big coffees because there's a little coffee maker and then there's right. the big one. I, yes. I, 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 yes, a, a like-minded spirit. By the way, what flavor of Nespresso? I order mine online, too, by, by eight or ten boxes in it, or sleeves, they call them. What flavor are you drinking today? Yeah, let me see. I think it's called Stormio. <laughs> I think I have that one. That's some pretty powerful yeah. stuff. Thank you very much. Let's go to DDA Menon. DDA, I think you said you're calling from Austria. I know you did. So tell me, what's in your cup today, and what time is it for you, DDA? So it's already late afternoon. It's uh, close to be uh, 7.30 p.m. Uh, so I'm still in the office yeah, because I have no good line at home, so I call you from my office. In office, we're not allowed to drink too much yeah, on this a little bit late for coffee. 
But uh, I can tell you when I will come home, because today is a very nice uh, summer uh, days in Austria, so we have something like 90 degrees, yeah, on the, and we have light till 10 o'clock in the evening. So when I will come home, I will drink, because it's summertime, I will drink an Aperol with a shot of orange juice. So I don't know if you know what Aperol. I think you can no. also buy it in the U.S. Yeah? S- spell it, and, uh, spell it for me, please. How, how do you spell it, DJ? A-P-E-R-O-L. Okay. So you, and, I know that and you, can buy, you can buy it. It's a, some, something bitter. It's red, a very nice color. It's uh, red. And you mix it with uh, a Prosecco. Prosecco is uh, Italian champagne. Yeah? Uh, this is a normal house that will serve it. Yeah? Uh, what I like to do is put a little bit of orange juice on, on top of it. Yeah? On this fresh. I, looks yes. very nice. The color is very nice. And, you know, I, I like it. I th- it's not too much I th- alcohol. It's a little bit of alcohol, but not too much. So you can, I, you can drink, too. <laughs> I think we have a red theme going on here to go with my red hair or my red Nespresso. Aperol is an Italian aperitif made of bitter orange, yes. gentian, rhubarb, yes. and yes. cinchona, among other ingredients. The origin country of origin is Padua, P-A-D-U-A. It was introduced in yes. 1919. The Aperol Spritz is the undoubtedly most widespread and commonly drunk aperitif in Italy. There you go. You can go to Aperol, A-P-E-R-O-L dot com and read all about it. Very, very interesting. Unique taste, slightly alcoholic, the perfect aperitif. Oh, thank you for introducing us. I'm going to have to go to my local liquor store and get a little bottle of that, and I will toast you, DDA. Thank you so much. Alfred Becker, where are you? What are you drinking? Talk to us. Well, I am German, and I'm sitting in Germany. <laughs> I am, I am uh, at home right now. It's also 7.30 here. And uh, I have next to me a glass of wonderful German tap water uh, with a hint of uh, lead and copper because I'm living in an old house. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's the, the, the part, you know, that you have to drink something over the day, but uh, I can tell you uh, after work is finished, I will uh, go out to a beer garden and do something very typical here in Germany and uh, get a beer. <laughs> I will meet friends and to zip a good beer. There's a local brew um, that I really enjoy. <laughs> Does it have a name? What's your local brew called? Do you want to share that with us? Uh, yeah, the, there are there are a number of brands. So one is the Schwabenbräu. Uh, it's really local and uh, it's a it's a light beer, but full flavored, and uh, it's uh, it's served in funny bottles. But I like the taste of it. It's it's really uh, it's really rich, and uh, yeah, <laughs> this is this is one of my favorites. And it tastes even better when you sit on a table with some good friends and uh, have a good chat. <laughs> Thank you very much. Was that uh, Schwabenbrau? Was that what it was? Schwabenbrau? Yeah, yeah. The the last uh, two um, uh, letters, that's A and U, but the, you know, the A, that's the German umlaut. 
the, oh, the German right. A with double dot on it, Schwabenbräu. <laughs> Bräu, Schwabenbräu. I can say that. I just try. Yeah, thank absolutely. you. <laughs> I have to thank the three of you. I'm very boring by contrast. They don't let me have caffeine on radio show days, and I think you already figured out why or why not, <laughs> as the case may be. So I'm only allowed to have a glass of cool, clear water, and I have a bright yellow straw in my water for easy sipping while I'm on the air, and that's because it's beautiful and sunny and gorgeous here in New York with a mostly blue sky with a couple of very fluffy, beautiful, white, poetic clouds. So we're just looking at the blue sky and the sunshine. And I want to thank our three panelists. This has been a great opening. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, a lot more coming from Peter Reynolds, Didier Magnan, and Alfred Becker. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and you're listening to Digital Industries Changing the Game Radio. We're talking today about pulp and paper industry, digital transformation, you got to get with the program, kids. So we'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin, out. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. SAP, co-innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry-specific solutions into the cloud. Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. Digital Industries, Changing the Game brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry trends and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help your business succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of a digitized world. Digital Industries, Changing the Game is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You're listening to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to Digital Industries, Changing the Game. Welcome back. You're listening to Digital Industry Changing the Game. We have a great panel today talking about the pulp and paper industry digital transformation. I'm speaking today with Peter Reynolds at ARC Advisory Group. It may be ARC. I'll find out in a minute with Didier Magnan at SAPI, S-A-P-P-I, and Alfred Becker at SAP. We're ready to formally start the roundtable, and I'm looking at notes from Peter Reynolds. And here's where we would like to start. We're going to talk about external expertise improving asset performance. Let me read a little bit from Peter's notes, and then he will expand it. He says, process plant owner operators will increasingly recognize that technology vendors and suppliers have greater knowledge and expertise of certain assets and can deliver that expertise as a service, cheaper, greater efficiency, more accuracy. Oh my goodness, are we taking away jobs or are we adding them? Peter Reynolds, let's talk, please. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I'd have to say that jobs will change. I, I think that's, that's, a, that's a given. That's something that... Uh, that we see across industry. 
and uh, ARC ARC Advisory Group. We actually get both, so so Bonnie, just feel free to to call it uh, whichever whichever you you prefer. But what <laughs> I will kind. say is that yes. um, it, it's it's interesting. So I've been in manufacturing now for about twenty five years, uh, five years as an analyst, and I'll just stop right there. But my but my career, but the. Um, w- I characterize the technology into a, in a couple of distinct layers. There's there's the IT layer, the information technology layer, which is which is dominated by finance for for obvious reasons for financial planning and and uh, and uh, profit and, and loss. And there's another layer that sits below that, quite distinct and quite separate, called the operational technology layer. Uh, some some um, people refer that to automation, engineering, and it's where a lot of the real-time things take place. So especially in the pulp and paper industry, there's a lot of uh, risky, continuous, and batch processes where there's machines that spin really quickly and a lot of really dangerous things. But the, but the interesting thing is, is we see the technology change across different manufacturers. And, and pulp and paper is not unlike chemicals and refining and other different industries. The the, the requirement for uptime and uh, availability of the equipment is just becoming paramount. And this sort of ties a little bit into supply chain where competition, of course, is driving uh, efforts to be spent on, uh, on, uh, on uh, improving uh, production. So customers want, of course, the, the right product, the right quality. They want it at the right time, but they also want it at the right price. So how do they do that? So what, what, uh, what we see at ARC is huge um, effort going on to help improve the asset performance and uptime. And historically speaking, the data that resides within the production systems within a paper mill um, or a pulp uh, plant, depending on which part of the uh, pulp paper supply chain, most of that data has stayed locked up in disparate systems within within the, uh, the facilities. But the big change here is with emphasis on things like cybersecurity and cloud systems that are capable of storing, storing this data much more securely and safer, more reliably than the systems reside on premise, the data that comes out of machines and, and other sophisticated assets part of a manufacturing facility, that data is starting to go to cloud centers. But what this is doing is this is enabling not just people within your organization to improve production, but also people that may understand discrete assets better than the people that work for a company. I'll say that for, for most manufacturers, nobody understands their complete process or operation better than them. But when it comes to the specific assets, the expertise may not actually reside within the company because of the scale that's required to train the engineers and the service people and the operators the, the scale is, is not adequate. So from a cost reduction standpoint, this is huge where we're seeing connectivity between original equipment manufacturer and shifting to proactive and predictive maintenance instead of reactive break-fix maintenance. And that is really a transformational step for most manufacturing industries. Thank you, Peter. Very, very interesting. The idea of expertise as a service, is that just a new word for consultants? Hmm? Um, consultants uh, tend to, I, I, would, I would say consultants tend to stop at design and make recommendations. Expertise as a, a service, it extends from design and operate 
and maintain and sustain. So think of it like, um, this is actually probably one of the most common examples is as you get on a, uh, I'm going to use Delta Airlines, an American airline as an example. Delta Airlines is really good at getting you from point A to point B. But what Delta mm-hmm. Airlines is not really good at is the engine of, and thrust that's on the wing. So Delta Airlines actually contracts out the the, uh, the maintenance, the support, sustainability, and the monitoring in flight to make sure that you arrive safely on, on that destination, right? So it's about companies realizing their expertise and what they're good at and really finding ways to connect their assets to the people that really know best and can reduce safety and efficiencies and things like that. Thank you, Peter. And it sounds like that's a very smart way to go. And DDA Manya, why don't you talk to us? Join us on this conversation uh-huh. that Peter started. Go ahead, DDA. So first, I don't agree with Peter. Uh, so I'm, I'm working exactly on this uh, asset performance already for, for some, uh, some, uh, some time. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you look on a, a paper machine, it's a complex machine, which is not coming from one vendor. So when you have a machine coming from one vendor, I would agree with Peter. The best solution is that they, they do the, uh, the optimization, the performance, the maintenance, they do it for you. But if you look on a paper machine, very complex, it's not one supplier, it's a multiple suppliers. And what we, what we found out, because it's something we are looking very, very closely on, like Peter says, the, you know, the efficiency of the machine is very important. Because you, can't, you start to make money not with, uh, at the beginning, but at the end of the curve. Yeah? Because the first, you know, the first uh, 80% uh, of your production, you don't really make money, and you start to make money when you are coming on the top. And if you, where you can differentiate to your competitors if you are going over. So I don't know if you're, uh, you have an uh, overall efficiency from 80% and you move to 85%, so 5% is big money. It's big money. So, uh, but to apply, to leave it uh, to things, and we looked at it, and we had a lot of discussion with all these vendors, yeah? and they are, they are doing they have good things. They are dedicated specialize on certain subjects where you can use their, their knowledge and so on. But overall, I, I would say on our experience on this, what we, we, we discuss internally and we decided that is how are people running this machine for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Because this machine, are, you know, you build them for, they run 40, 50 years, yeah? They run every day, day or night. They know them by heart, yeah? And if you talk to them, they have very, very, very high expertise on this machine, yeah? So I, my opinion, you have to combine both. Yeah, you have to combine. Ah. So to give everything to the vendors, I, I would not do it. First, it makes you very dependent. Probably it will not be cheaper. I, at least I don't really believe on, on, on this, yeah? And, and they don't know everything. You know, if you... You know, there is only few uh, uh, producer of paper machine, but you look in, the, uh, in one paper machine, you have a lot of different vendors on it. Yeah? So having one for overall is something I don't believe is something you have to do yourself. Thank you, DDA. Before I get Peter's response or rebuttal, I want to get Alfred Becker in here so we have a really robust conversation. Alfred, thoughts? Uh, which side of the fence are you on or create your own fence? Well, it's... it's uh so and so. I mean, I I would agree that probably it's difficult to get uh, all that service from from one source. As Dini mentioned, machines are complex. But for example, we have a vision that maybe one day 
uh, some providers of, of devices which are being used again and again, pumps or engines or whatever, someone finally comes up with a device that is the most reliable, maybe because of its mechanical construction, maybe because they, they can simply read that data quite well and understand when it will fail, for example, and advise you to service it or something like that. Um, so I, I, uh, this is this is just a projection or an, or an idea, but uh, I feel that there will be some some progress um, with the with regards to the services that external companies can provide, and um, even if uh, you know even if such a machine is of course a conglomerate of of different aggregates, I think still you have a single thing that can fail and that you want to make sure it runs the best way. So if someone can consult you on that and tell you, well, uh, based on our analysis, which is maybe not only you as a machine operator, but based on our analysis and based on data of hundreds of machine operators, we have the experience to say this or that will happen. And I think this information is, is for sure valuable. Uh, of course, it will be, it will reflect only part of the story, and uh, I, I agree it will be very difficult to have that for the entire paper machine. But um, something that I would like to mention, I mean, now we, we concentrated very much on, hey, we have sensor data and we use this for a certain use case, for example, for asset maintenance. But uh, I, I know of scenarios where someone produces a product and collect sensor data to have an, uh, in real time, uh, a very precise idea of what's going on, what's being produced, and whether this is now uh, an integrated paper company that has, for example, its own paper pulp plants, which are consumed in the paper plant to produce the paper, or whether it's two companies, and that's my example, where someone produces the pulp and the other one produces the paper, then, you know, they they have also uh, the need to, to do it just in time and not to build up stocks. So what they do is while they produce it, they, they read out all that information and try to understand what the product is about. And then they, they advise their customers on the best possible usage of that very specific product, I mean, of that single batch. And later on, vice versa, when, when they run that stuff on their machines, they they uh, send some of the data these to the suppliers to say hey this is how it runs how are we doing and then they may be able to look at whatever some viscosity and say hey you should open that valve or whatever so it it it's of course a difficult topic because each of the of the parties is a specialist and they know best what they're doing but I I feel that. Uh, there's always someone who may be a specialist in a, in a very little part, and you may be able to use that on top of your own knowledge. Thank you, Alfred. Very insightful. Good, good conversation. Peter, I'm going to circle back to you. Any rebuttal or comments to your co-panelists? And I love the disagreement because it raises the bar and gets everybody thinking. There are complex answers here. Peter Reynolds, talk to us. Sure, absolutely. And I think an important uh, you know, distinction is, is maybe not the entire process. And we see lots of different industries tackle it this way. Like the, the companies that do this really well, they really take time to assess wh- where they're looking for a competitive advantage in their organization. What is the mission of the operations and the maintenance groups that support these manufacturing facilities? What are their capabilities? How do they get there? How do they train them? How do they ensure they're competent? And how do they appropriately apply 
metrics. So all these things are really important. So in the case of pulp and paper, so say, for example, it might not make sense to take the paper machine and connect it to the outside and have external support. But the ancillary systems, it might make perfect sense. And that could be the quality control system that ensures the thickness of the paper. This could be digester, advanced controls that make sure that you limit the process variability. There could be any number of systems that could be from multiple vendors. And no plant in the world has got a single vendor. They're all a mixture of many, many different companies with multiple service level agreements and due attention applied where appropriate. But the real business case for this is in the way we operate. So the reality is, is most, most plants, and, and the data that we have on this is, is significant, we would say that 5 to 8% of all assets in manufacturing facilities use something called predictive maintenance. That's where mm-hmm. you're looking at sensors, you're looking at I'll say big data. This is this is information from multiple multivariate sources in order to do a prediction about when something is going to fail. And this is not this is not an alarm that an operator might get. This is an alert that says in three months' time this uh, feedstock pump will fail if you keep operating it this way. So this is where we see, and this is why the example I used of Delta Airlines and the turbine monitoring, so they actually have a service-level agreement for pounds of thrust. This is where co- companies that are, that are really shifting the bar from predictive to, to uh, or from reactive to predictive maintenance are saving huge money, which goes back to you know, that right product at, at the right price at the, at the right time because it's really helping supply chain altogether all with availability. Thank you, Peter. Wonderful. And I want to make sure we don't have a lot of time left. I want to hit on a couple of things from DDA's notes and then hopefully some comments from Alfred. Yes. So, DDA, I'm looking at your notes here. Let me just read a little piece of historical relevance here. You say the decline of paper came not with the Web 2.0 revolution as expected. That was Web 2.0, I meant, but with the financial crisis in 2009, 30% decline. That's when all industries and sectors moved away from graphic paper. Everybody, you know, flyers, publications, annual reports, to digital media. So here's the result. DGA says the market cannot be changed, so we have to increase our market share if we want to maintain our assets. So, DGA, why don't you just give us a little bit about how digital can help. Let's talk about becoming more customer-centric. That's what I'd like to focus on. Why don't you take about a minute or so to talk about that, then we'll get some quick comments from Alfred and Peter as well. DDA, talk to me, please. Yeah. So uh, why you have to be more customer-centric? Because we are uh, in a uh, commodity business. So you don't make the difference with your product. Yeah, and why it's a policy is all different. Your your product would be a little bit different and so on. But today's print machine are so intelligent they can adapt themselves very quickly to any of paper. So it means your customers they can move from one supplier to the next next day, or mm-hmm. one job to next job. Yeah. So if you want to make a difference, yeah, you have to take care of your customer. So it's where you have to be to become very much uh, customer centric. And to, to be customer centric it means is looking on uh, what are uh, the pain points that the customer has in their processes and so on and try to help them uh, to uh, to solve this pain point. And is where we believe with all the digital words coming in, yeah, that we can help them. So making 
the process much more lean, uh, starting with ordering, uh, uh, managing inventory, managing the finance, managing the processes, uh, 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 no, like, uh, like uh, Alfred said before, having better information on the product to be able to adapt quicker or to optimize the run on the machines. It's all these kind of services that you will have to offer on the top if you, if you want to keep them. Because the demand is going down. Yeah? Mm-hmm. If you want to keep your asset, you will have to increase your market share. And you cannot do through the product. So you just can do through the service that you are giving to your uh, to your customer. So it's a, you know just on time, all this kind of thing. Very Thank important. you. Very important. Alfred Becker, love to get your two cents or ten dollars worth, whatever you can print on whatever paper you have. <laughs> Sorry about that. Ten, Alfred, $10. talk to us. Ten dollars. Ten dollars would be too much money. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so let's get. Too much money. <laughs> I think pennies no, are going uh, away I, though. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I agree very much with uh, what Didier said. I mean, um, for, for decades, uh, people tried to produce better stuff for a lower cost, and now they, uh, it's the individualization that, of course, comes with, with uh, issues during planning. I mean, your planning processes may get more complex, but uh, Didier already mentioned it's that service on top that may differentiate you from competition and this is where I would like to fill in maybe there are more ideas that we haven't even thought of that can make the the consumption of paper or maybe even only the sales of the sales process of paper being more more enjoyable or whatever you know maybe maybe it's a good idea to have a well, many have a web shop that's not a nice idea an individual web shop you know even if it's a business-to-business transaction and someone is still happy when they have a a nice user interface and and everything, you know, maybe individual appearance or whatever it is. So it it can be the usage or completely new things that we don't even think of today. So additional services that that I think everyone is looking for. Unfortunately, I don't have that magic idea (laughs) what that could be. (laughs) Thank you very much. Peter Reynolds, I want to get you in on this. We're almost ready for our predictions round. So, Peter, what are your thoughts on what we just talked about with Alfred and with DDA? Sure, yeah. And, you know, I think on the customer side, I think that there's, you know, lots of opportunities. I look at other industries and what they've done. And, uh, you know, as an example, I think um, this may be Samsung. I may have have the supplier wrong. But how do you – how do you get customer loyalty in other commodity businesses? And I have some experience in the uh, downstream fuels uh, retailing business, which is highly commoditized. Uh, many cases, uh, you know, people tend to buy gasoline from the, the station that's on their way to work at the same time. It's on the, the right side of the road. If they drive on that side of the road, they won't, mm-hmm. they won't cross the road and highly driven by price. But, um, some retailers uh, and software suppliers are actually looking at uh, developing technologies to put in the hands of the customers to introduce loyalty. So, so for example, if I'm driving my car and I uh, have my smartphone with me, because I'm like most people, I have a smartphone, what will it that will make me go to a particular retailer to be fueled up and perhaps stop in for a coffee. So there are lots of things that I that I think we can do, and uh, and uh, perhaps in the uh, in the paper industry, maybe it's um, it's not uh, maybe it's commodity in one sense, but 
maybe on the service side, maybe there's other opportunities by increasing that digital right to the bulk customer or the single customer or whichever it might be. Thank you. And, you know, I'm thinking while you're talking that in addition to my printer automatically knowing when I'm running low on ink and how many pages I printed, what if it said, Bonnie, we're aware that in this special cabinet, you're down to your last half a ream of paper. And we know at this rate, you're going to need paper because you're printing out scripts for your new play for your cast, which is true. And you're running out and we're going to give you a choice. Look at your email. We're going to give you a choice of which vendor you want and we will make sure it's delivered to you and charged to your current credit card. On file. Wouldn't that be nice? Where they knew not was I just running out of ink, but I was running out of paper? That would be a nice service, I think. I know, but maybe they'll know too much. Alfred Becker, since we're just about out of time, I want to give you the courtesy of starting the predictions round with you. I can give you one minute. Talk to me. What do you see in the crystal ball, Alfred, coming down the pike, if you will? I hate that old phrase, but it just springs to mind. What's going to change? We're talking about pulp and paper, digital transformation. What do you see if we met again, let's say, in 2020 and talked about this or even next year? Tell me what you see coming up that will be a significant change about this conversation. Alfred, I can give you just barely one minute for predictions. Please go. Well, I still have that IT perspective. And uh, I think that uh, all our uh, options with, with big data and, and just-in-time processing, this we, we haven't reached the end. There will be much more, and there will be much, many more use cases to predict business and to run your business in a better way. We, we already see today, for example, the prediction of production quality. And uh, I, I assume that we will find more, um, well, more use cases to predict or to understand exactly what's going on to adapt your business. Uh, one example can be the exact anticipation of demand, which allows you to plan more accurately. You know, today, you don't really understand when paper is consumed because the single sheet of paper or a roll of toilet paper, it doesn't say, hey, now I'm being consumed. But uh, <laughs> we see already uh, uh, approaches to, to understand, for example, the consumption of, of paper towels. And this is communicated to the producer so they can understand, well, likely we need to deliver more paper towels. This is, of course, only a starting point, but I think we will see much more of that stuff in the future. Thank you very much. Peter Reynolds, we are so close to the end. I can give you 30 seconds for predictions. Give me your best shot. Go ahead, Peter. Got it, yeah. yeah. Well, I really see something that's, that's really important. There's this, uh, there's this talk about IT, OT, technology, convergence. That's happening in a, in a big way because I think the more companies tighten their supply chain, increase uptime and focus on, um, on availability, we're going to see a lot more sort of commoditization of that automation layer that's running paper mills today. You're going to see virtualized platforms, uh, uh, the already we've, we've seen uh, shared services and, and uh, technologies or, or, or delivery models like BY, bring your own device. Now, those are becoming huge, and not to mention uh, uh, cloud service providers uh, as places to uh, build your, your corporate applications like Amazon Web Services and Azure. We see a lot of growth there. And there's this new thing that we didn't really talk about too, too much, but it's new in manufacturing. It's been around a while, and that's called machine learning. And I hinted at it before, you know, taking uh, data out of the facilities and send them to experts inside your organization and outside the organization. Machine learning is doing computational predictions of plan assets like humans can never do. So this is a really big thing. We're seeing a lot of, of machine learning uh, growth uh, across industries, including pulp and paper. 
Thank you, Peter. Appreciate that. DDA, I can give you the same 30 seconds, and then I have a surprise okay. for all three of you. Go ahead. DDA predictions, please. 30 okay. seconds. Go. I make it in 10 seconds. So oh. we'll still uh, sell paper in 2020, yeah? And when yes. we talk about IoT, we will talk about intelligence of things. Oh, well, that's an interesting one. My surprise is that because we didn't get to a lot of our conversation here, I'm going to invite all three of you to do part two of this topic on our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers, and I will send you an invitation for later in the summer or early fall. Would you all like to come back and do part two and get a little deeper in the topic? Peter, DDA, Alfred? Sure. Absolutely, yes. Yahoo. <laughs> Yoo-hoo. Okay, wonderful. We do more longer predictions. You get five minutes predictions each. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out to Jennifer Schultz at SAP for putting together a wonderful panel and a very interesting topic, Jennifer. Shout out to Chris and Justin at, at the Business Channel for getting us on the air and keeping us here. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Who knows? Maybe it'll be paper or cardboard one of these days. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.